This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to TPQ20, where we go beyond the page with poets about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. I'm Courtney Margolin. And I'm Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Hi, sorry, I'm trying to get my video to start. I don't know why it's being so stubborn. Um, Not a problem at all. Oh, there we go. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon. My name is Chris. And I'm Hi, Courtney. Chris. Hi, Courtney. Hey. Hello. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for taking some time to hang out with us on TPQ20 this morning. Of course. I guess, uh, well, this morning for us, still just, uh, what, 10 o'clock over here. So. Oh, okay. Where uh, are you guys? We're uh, just outside of Portland, Oregon. Oh, okay, right on. Yeah. So um, we always like to start off by saying that, you know, we know who you are, but to our <laughs> audience, um, you may be new. Mm -hmm. So if you were to kind of give, um, you know, your quick pitch of who you are, uh, who are you? That's a good question. Uh, I'm Saeed Jones. Um, I think of myself as a poet, though, um, I'm very much a Sagittarius, so I like to travel everywhere, <laughs> literally, figuratively, you know, creatively. So, you know, my first book was a poetry collection I published in 2014. Um, and the experience of publishing and reading and sharing that book with people, which was fictional, you know, it was, it, you know, it was similar, but it was not about me, inspired me to then focus on publishing a memoir. Um, that was about me and, you know, was very direct and there was no persona to hide behind. And and so I published um, my memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives in 2019, a lifetime ago. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, and now what, it's January 2022 and I'm, you know, in the process of, you know, working on selecting the cover and the galleys and the jacket copy for my, my next book, which will be a poetry collection, A Life at the End of the World. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Very cool. Um, so that leads us into our first real question. And that's all about your passions. And I I love peeking into your world here. I see you've got some plant <laughs> behind you. A lot of plants. Um, I'm a mom of many succulents myself. <laughs> I've got them growing everywhere. Uh, but other than a couple plants I see growing, what are some of your passions outside the world of poetry and literature? that maybe lend themselves into your world of poetry and literature? Yeah, I, I love that. Um, I mean, uh, style and fashion have always been passions of mine. Um, one of my aunts uh, has worked in fashion re really my whole life. You know, she went to, to fashion school and um, I allude to this in my memoir, but when I was younger, my mother would do some modeling um, and sometimes would model, you know, designs her sister made and so, um, I, I grew up really admiring 
you know, high fashion, the runway, you know, all of that. And um, I love that world. I, I, I still do. I, I follow all of it. It's like, it, it, at times it feels like a useless path, you know, because it's like these expensive designs that, you know, very few of us, including myself, can afford. But I just love that world. And, um, and you know, yeah, so I think the art of how things look, how they're styled, color, um, I think this sense of how we can kind of, and we all do this, we can, you know, I wear color because I like how it looks, how it makes me feel, how we present ourselves, you know, I think, I think that's an art and I think that's really interesting and I'm sure it shows up in my writing in all kinds of ways. Um, and yeah, I love spaces. Um, I think in my writing, I think it's pretty clear. I enjoy writing about place. Um, and I think you can just see like in my life, I enjoy, you know, obviously just like in my living room, um, I take pretty seriously, you know, living with intention in terms of the spaces we cultivate um, and, and how that either, you know, welcomes people in um, and how, of course, it like supports the work. Like I'm sitting at my desk where I wrote most of my most recent book, you know, so all of this is important. Mm -hmm. I know I'm looking behind you and just the way everything behind you mm -hmm. is composed and the space between and just the colors. It's so welcoming and just Thank you. <laughs> delightful. I just want to, I want to come in and just sit down and be immersed That's the in goal. it. It's exactly yeah. where I would want to snuggle up in and write or be read to. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> so on the other side of passions then, um, who are those authors that kind of spoke to you along the way um, you know, what, it, what are those works uh, that you have been most passionate about um, that kind of brought you on your mm -hmm. journey? Um, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time to, to ask that question because I've been revisiting a lot of them lately. Um, starting last summer, I, I started rereading Bell Hooks All About Love. Um, I, I picked up a copy, just, I just felt the need um, to reread that book for the first time. And probably, I think the last time I read it, I was probably in college and I just saw it and I picked it up. And then of course, with her passing recently, it's like, you know, again, um, and yeah, I mean, she was really the first feminist, you know, critical scholar. I don't even, if it's all the language feels like it's not quite capturing, you know, but someone of that magnitude whose work I encountered in the academy, like it was literally a professor handed me a copy of, I think feminism is for everybody. And, and then I immediately, I just like would go to the library every day and read, you know, another book, almost like a book a day it felt like. And, and it was the first writer who, you know, I mean, the ideas, whoa, on fire. But then I could talk to my professor, I could talk to my dorm mates, I could talk to you know my younger cousin Alex, who who at the time was like a younger like kind of frat bro, frat bro, uh, track <laughs> runner kind of athlete, you know, straight. You know, we could talk, we could connect. I could talk to my mom, who you know only took a couple of semesters of college, and so um, that sense of talent and insight that works in these different spaces, and and like what you said, like that sense of welcoming, you know, being feeling invited in, um, that's important to me, and I hope runs through all of my work. Um, I'm rereading 100 Years of Solitude, mm. um, which I think this is, I think this will be my third time revisiting that book in particular. And, you know, I think with, I mean, Mark, you know, magical realism, I think you see that in all of my work that's, you know, using that and Toni Morrison, of course. Um, but I think with, with Marquez in particular, there's like, 
the scale, the ambition of his imagination is really inspiring you know it makes me want to to think bigger i'm i'm very control oriented actually maybe it's like why i like poems you know and so um and so i love you know in fiction he's just like go big and yeah. i i think you know several books into my career that that feels healthy you know pushing ourselves yeah no marquez is marquez and magical realism i i took a class uh in college on on magical realism um uh, and and found myself just falling into everything Marquez. Mm-hmm. Um, Memoirs of a Melancholy Horror mm-hmm. is truly mm-hmm. one of the greatest pieces mm-hmm. of literature. Um, yeah. No, just incredible. Um, so as we move toward a question about process, I have mm-hmm. a question for you. Uh, mm-hmm. On Twitter, in, uh, way back in uh, November of 19, Okay. Um, you posted saying, I won't always do this, but here's a poem I'm working on right now, Alive mm. at the End of the World. Um, and you posted an early draft of that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're now a couple years removed. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm probably, probably 25 drafts removed. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your process when it comes to putting together, you know, a new collection or... Mm-hmm you know, the idea of this being such an early draft and showing that vulnerability, um, how does that, how does that vulnerability for you become, you know, your newest poetry collection? Yeah, and I mean, because, so that, that so I should tell, there are like five, maybe six poems in the new book with that same title. So ah. I always, oh, so this is the, uh, this is the, uh, the end of the world was mistaken for just yes. another midday massacre yeah. in America. Yeah. yeah um, that is in some ways the the title poem it was i didn't i i obviously i felt strongly about that poem and you know clearly um it was the opening of a door that led to a whole collection when i wrote it i didn't realize that's where i was going um i have five or six poems because one of my arguments about what it feels like to be alive at the end of the world is that we live through apocalyptic events and and things like a mass shooting for example, I was thinking of the mass shooting in at the Walmart in El Paso, Texas, um, with that poem in particular, these things should stop the world. We should just like drop everything we do and instead we just keep going. And so um, so that's that's why there's so many poems in the book with the same title, that kind of cognitive dissonance. Um, and I think in sharing it on Twitter, it was the beginning of a new kind of process for me, which is to try to find ways to to be productively transparent. Um, I think there's a, a bit of narcissism inherent, I think, in being like, here's my problem. Like, I'm like, people don't care. Like, people are, <laughs> they don't care. You know, like, I think people, you know, to a certain extent, I'm tempted to say, like, just mind your own business, do your work quietly and share, <laughs> <laughs> share people the book, you know, when, when it's done. But um one you know particularly when we think of of mass shootings and and a lot of the calamities that the book takes on i wanted to find a way to talk about it now we've got to talk about it now because i think as we often see with like let's use gun violence in particular that thoughts and prayers loop means that that conversation actually never happens right like you know people try to go they try to make you feel bad for talking about it in the moment. And then you're like, what? So we like set a calendar for next week. And then of course there's another shooting next week, you know, and so it never happens. And so I think that's part of why I decided to just tweet that poem 
Um, fortunately, it actually didn't go through a bunch of rounds of. <laughs> oh, there we I go. Really, when I sent it to my, I was like, "Oh, here we go," you know. And she was like, "No, we're, we can work with this," you know. Um, Beautiful. So I think my process now is I'm, I'm trying to close the gap between artfully close the gap. I still want the poem to be revised. I still want, you know, every line should be able to work on its own. That's really important to me in terms of my reading, of my writing, like like a, like a the line itself should be a poem is what I have in my head. Mm. But I don't know, I, I, I want to be a part of the world. I don't want people to read my work and think that I am distant or abstract or not just like, trying to figure out if I should self-isolate just like that. You know what I mean? Like, I, wa I, want to, I want you to understand. I know I'm in rhythm with people. I want that to be clear with my work. And so, yeah, I think this book and my process now is very interesting because I think I'm trying to more accurately pin down where I am in the moment, if that makes sense. Whereas yeah. like Prelude to Bruise, it felt almost like um, a shooting star or a comet. And, and so the, the reader was at the tail end of the comet and I was at the front, you know, there was just like a huge, <laughs> huge gap. <laughs> so and then on the other side of process, um, are there, you know, superstitions? Are there rituals you have to go through? Are you a nine to fiver oh. when it comes to writing? Um, what do mm. you, you know, what does your notes app look like on your phone? Yeah, I do. I do occasionally use a notes app. I, I, I wouldn't say religiously, you know, it's um, what if I mean, I, I like writing at home. I, I think increasingly, you know, and this is this is really pre pandemic. But um, generally speaking, I think I prefer to write at home. Um, I tend to want to write, especially with poems in the morning. Um, I think for me, you know, poems happen best in this liminal space between reading about a shooting or, you know, or reading, you know, a book for research, you know, very grounded in reality. And then the the kind of dreaminess and, and, and that exists for me that's only possible, you know, if I wake up early and it's before people are texting me, it's before, you know, the email inbox is just like four alarm siren, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It's it's easier to write poems then. Um, and, and yeah, I guess I, I, I guess I have a, it's like, I got to have my coffee. I need to, you know, I can't just sit down. It's kind of, I have to warm, I listen to a podcast. I kind of have to slowly wake myself up. So yeah, it, it probably takes like a full hour or so before I'm actually writing, you know, and then maybe it's like another hour or two of writing itself. I, I, I think maybe when I was writing on the memoir, there are a few times I maybe wrote for three hours and that was unusual. I'm just, I'm sorry, I was picturing it in my head that those moments when the house is still in the morning and, you mm -hmm. got your, and you're mm -hmm. just in the wander with your- There family. are moments when the house is still in the morning? Well, you wouldn't know. Oh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> and it's just me and the dog. <laughs> that was pre-pandemic. Oh. And now we're all together. <laughs> right, now we're all here, yeah. We're all here. <laughs> So speaking of that, pitfalls. <laughs> Not that that's a pitfall, but we love all being here all the time. <laughs> but if there was a pitfall that maybe some people had fallen into ever along their journeys, how might you have handled that? 
um, because I know we all along our journey, we run into things we struggle with. Um, how have you dealt with some of those struggles and um, what have you learned from them? Yeah, um, I think something that's on my mind is that I'm very, you know, part of it is I spent six years in a newsroom um, and, and worked as a culture editor and was working with other writers. So, you know, it's not just that people think it's like, oh, you're on Twitter. I was like, no, it's literally my job to kind of be aware of the various ecosystems in which we live, you know, politically, culturally, um, where are we in the movie award cycle, all of that, you know, and, and that still is with me to a certain extent. Um, I would say it's similar to, you know, I tell young poets, you need to be aware of what are the other books being published, you know, or what are the presses, the, you know, just like aware of the world. And I think a pitfall there, though, is that it can then be difficult at times to efficiently, maybe efficiently isn't the word, create boundaries, you know, so I think just I guess what I'm trying to say, I think a pitfall I've struggled with and that I see particularly emerging writers struggle with is you end up, because you're reading the room and you're seeing what everyone else is doing and how it's going, you know, you start saying no, or I don't want to do that, or I shouldn't do that to potential projects you haven't even, (laughs) it knows I'm gone into the second person, potential Uh projects I haven't even, you know, really embarked upon, right? Um, embarked upon just because of kind of what I'm seeing around me. Does that make yeah. sense? I mean, it's, it, it is, it's an act of literary citizenship, for example, I would argue, to, to be engaging your community, to be learning about the industry, to be mentoring, to be a mentee. I think these are things we should all always be doing. But then also, you, I think, have to learn how to, especially with ideas when they're early, you know, in in their process, um, protect them, protect them. And I just remember early in in my career, and this was a peer, he he was, you know, and this was before we both published our first books. And I was kind of going through like, well, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to write it. And I heard someone did that. And I saw what, you know, and he was like, you sure are saying no a lot. (laughs) (laughs) What are you saying yes to? You know, so I, I think that's a I think that's a pitfall, and I see it. You know, I see people. It's almost like you can see people reading things online and and Twitter con- social media conversations, and you can almost see them opting out mm. of projects and pursuits um, because they're like, oh, when it gets published, I'm like, there's like six years, there might be ten years between this moment you're in now, and, and but now you're worried about like, oh, well, someone wrote a book about X celebrity and it didn't do well. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So, I think that's a pitfall, and I think we're all struggling with it because we we all just have to take in so much more information um, than than generations ago. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that personally i got that same type of advice early in Mm -hmm. my career as an educator actually Mm -hmm. one of my colleagues kept saying to me i hear no a lot (laughs) right when when are you gonna say yes like with where's your idea on the table Mm -hmm. (laughs) very fast Mm -hmm. well i guess i guess with that did you get to a point um was there a point where that no became an intentional no um where Mm -hmm. You know, it stopped being just kind of saying no 
uh, and it became you had the ability because of where you were in your career to better choose your pieces. Yes. I, I think, you know, three books in, into my career, I think I feel confident in understanding the power of saying that doesn't work for me right now. Might change, you know, you might change right. your mind later. There are things I used to think I would never do, you know, and now I'm like, oh, you know. So I think it's important to like kind of have that right now or at the moment. And I think for me, it's if I know why, hmm. if I can, if I can say no because, and if in hearing myself explain myself out loud, it still makes sense. Yep. Okay. Um, then that tracks. But if it's like, no, because I saw somebody, that's not enough. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we all do it. I might do it tomorrow and then kind of have to check myself. You know, I think right. it's definitely, though I, and I want to be clear, it's like, just because I indicated that it's something that I did a lot as an emerging artist, it's it's certainly not something exclusive to us right. when we're, you know, earlier in our processes. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, this was me as a, um, <laughs> a later teacher. I'm okay. not into that <laughs> She helped me learn the phrase, uh, I was the straw uh, that stirred the drink. Um, mm. And I learned that if I if I wanted a student to move, maybe I needed to move myself. I could only mm. control me. True. Um, it was the best uh, reminder I got in my, in my career. Yeah. <laughs> she just held a mirror up. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's all we need. <laughs> so in looking at um, what's coming up next for you, um, we know you've got your book coming out. Um, so if you want to give us a little reminder about details. Yeah, what's uh, what's coming out for you? And then what are you like really excited about that's also coming out in the world? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, so I'm, I'm excited about the next book, um, Alive at the End of the World. Coffeehouse Press is publishing it in September. Um, I'm just so proud of it. I'm, at, I'm, I'm glad I'm at the stage, like galleys are almost ready, you know, and, um, and so I, but, you know, I'm still at the, and maybe I just enjoy living in this liminal space where the book is like still, you know, it's like waking up in the middle of the night and reading it on my phone. <laughs> I, read it, I read the book forwards, I read the book backwards, I read, you know, um, I just really enjoy it. I, I, I hope people uh, like it. I think they will. Um, it's, it just has so many of the qualities I've always admired. I think it's cool. I think it's structurally creative because I wanted to find different ways in, in the structure of the book to embody chaos. <laughs> and, and, and how do you do that in a way that creates that sense of productive cognitive dissonance in a reader where they go, whoa, wait a minute. And then there's a uh you know a, a realization or a breakthrough or a you know a surprise an artful surprise and not just a is this a typo you know <laughs> such a joy you know because it felt like and i know you know people are talking about the matrix because of the most recent installment but i was thinking of like glitches because that's really what it feels like you know um repetition i think is a lot of haven't we already talked about this? Hasn't the scandal already happened? What do you mean? And then no consequences? You know, that's so much, I think, of how the last few years have felt. Um, and that's part of what's very scary, repetition without change. And so um, that was a really exciting framework to then write about the things I always write about, rooted in my identity as a Black gay man who's very much interested in 
climate change and uh, you know, reproductive health and obviously, you know, gun violence. Um, you know, there's a poem about the school board meetings. All of these are very contemporary conversations, but I also, you know, was able to start writing poems about Aretha Franklin and Luther Vandross and Diane Carroll. And, and so kind of bringing the past and present together um, was really exciting. And I got to make some some fun choices. I'm like, I'm keeping mum, but <laughs> there will be much to discuss. <laughs> um, and I guess uh, in terms of, of things coming out, I have to be selective because I'm like judging a few things. So I'm like reading, I'm reading some things that I, I can't even like talk about yet, which is very frustrating. Um, I love to talk about what I'm reading. Um, I guess, you know, my best friend, Isaac Fitzgerald, um, he's, you know, we've, we've been friends for over a decade now, if you've seen um, the tattoos on my arm, all of these tattoos I've gotten with him, um, we're very close. His memoir, Dirtbat Massachusetts, will be mm. published uh, this summer. Um, and so I'm cool. just, you know, a memoir is, is a whole other kind of monster <laughs> compared to other books. It's strange to say that because it's always work. It's always... Right. Um, a transformative undertaking, but I, I think the phenomenon of of writing a memoir demands something a little extra of a person because there are no veils. You, you you don't get to you know you don't get to say oh it's a character or oh it's a poem and if you read that no 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 it's just here I am, and I think that's challenging and I think especially in our culture men in particular, our entire lives in many ways are constructed to not do that. And, and so I'm just so proud of him and I'm just so excited for people to read this book because I think every time someone encounters a book like that, you know, where you understand what it required of an author, you know, there's an opportunity, I think, to really set someone else free. And there are a lot of men in this country in particular who need to be set free. That's what I will say. <laughs> That's about as nice as I can put that. <laughs> I love how you put that. And I, yes, mm -hmm. I support that. Mm -hmm. As as, ma as makeup has now fallen off the couch Woo! next to us. See? Just uh -oh. Oh, okay. Got to take care of them. Got to take care of them. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you. Um, this is fun. Yeah, this was an absolute pleasure. Uh, we look forward to Alive at the End of the World um, and seeing how the chaos strings itself together. Um, it's and a, I, will not... I will say it only feels more accurate. Like, as the, oh, if I had any concerns about like the moment moving on, I, I don't feel that way anymore. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. It was so delightful. Yeah, have a great rest of the day. You too, y'all. Stay safe out there. You as well. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to TPQ20. Please like, review, and subscribe.